Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is the word of our God. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, my dear fellow saints. Which do you think comes more naturally? Complaining or giving thanks? It's so easy to notice the negative, isn't it? The bad things that are happening in life. And to forget about the many positive, the many good things. Someone has tried to express this and sort of deal with it in a, in a kind of poem entitled, Thank You, Lord. And you've probably seen this or a version of this somewhere. It goes something like this. Thank you, Lord, for these dirty dishes. We have plenty of food to eat. Thank you, Lord, for all these piles of dirty, smelly laundry. We have plenty of clothes to wear. Thank you, Lord, for the unmade beds. They were warm and comfortable last night. And it goes on like this for a number of more verses. You get the idea. Sometimes it's good to just kind of step back and with our physical circumstances get a, a, a different perspective on it and to realize just how blessed we truly are. It's the same when it comes to our spiritual circumstances. We are saints, every one of us, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore holy in God's eyes through faith in Him. But just because we are saints, that doesn't mean that life in this sin-filled world is always going to be easy. In fact, because we are saints, because we are Christians, hardship comes into our lives. Jesus once said, you will be hated by everyone because of me. And at a different time, he added this thought, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Being a Christian, you see, means enduring this world's hatred and bearing the cross of suffering and of self-denial. But that's not all it means. I would say there are some perks to being a saint, to being a believer in Jesus, some advantages, if you will. And of course, that's an understatement. The blessings that we enjoy from the hand of a gracious and generous God are just unbelievable. Today, as we celebrate the festival of all saints, the Apostle Paul prays that we would see these blessings. Let me put it to you this way. Saints, open your eyes to God, God's gifts. Again, if we were to try to list all of God's blessings to us, it would be an uncountable list. It would never end. But the portion of God's word before us today really zeroes in on three of the main ones. As saints, we enjoy a sure and certain hope, a rich and a glorious inheritance, and the incomparably great power of our God for us. This morning, my friends, let's dive into our text and let's revel in these blessings. As I said, our, our text is part of a prayer that the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus. First of all, he prays uh, and thanks God for the faith of these Ephesian Christians and their love for their fellow believers. Then he prays that God would cause them to grow in wisdom and knowledge through use of his word. And finally, in our text, 
He prays that God would open their eyes so that they could enjoy the great gifts he has given them. Actually, he puts it this way. He prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You see, he wanted them to see things not just with their physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith. Well, my friends, how are we doing in that regard? What do we see with our faith eyes? Often, frankly, not very much because we're just not using them. We tend to resort to our physical eyes for vision. And so we see the car in the shop and the bills piling up and the checkbook is almost empty and our health isn't doing so well. And we wonder if God is really, really keeping his promise to take care of us. We look and we see the people in our lives and how they often use us and abuse us and take us for granted. And we wonder if our God even notices We look around us in the world at all the pain and the suffering, the hardship and the want, the violence and the exploitation, the division among peoples, even in our own nation. And we wonder why a loving God would allow these kinds of things to continue. We look into the mirror and we see only a failed parent, an unfaithful spouse, a lousy friend, a target for bullies. And we begin to feel worthless. And you know what? If we keep focusing just with our physical eyes and we keep focusing just on these kinds of things, then hopelessness is going to smother us. Dear saints, listen to Paul's prayer. Open your eyes, your faith eyes. When you look with those eyes, you will see that life for us is not hopeless. On the contrary, God has called us to a life of hope. You know, hope is a a funny word in the English language. Uh, We use the word hope when we are uncertain about something. I hope it doesn't rain today and spoil our barbecue. I hope that cute boy that I just met sends me a text. I hope that the Packers beat the Bears this afternoon, and so on and on. But in each case, we're unsure. We're unsure about the weather. We're unsure about that boy. We're unsure about our favorite sports team. We just don't know how things are going to turn out. My friends, as believers, we know exactly how things are going to turn out. And we know that because we know what our Lord Jesus has done to make sure that they turn out the way God wants them to. For our great blessing, we know about our Savior's miraculous virgin birth, which made him our flesh and blood substitute under God's law. We know about Jesus' perfect life under that law, a life lived as our substitute, a life that God now counts for us as if we were the ones who had lived perfectly. We know about Jesus' selfless sacrifice on the cross, about the holy blood that he shed that cleanses us of every last sin. We know about our Savior's glorious resurrection, his bodily resurrection from the grave, by which he sealed his victory over our enemies and secured our eternity. We know about all these things that Jesus did for us. And so, my friends, we know that our hope is sure and certain. In spite of our sins, we hope that Jesus will receive our spirits when we die. And he absolutely will. 
We hope that on the last day, Jesus will raise us up and glorify our bodies to live with him forever. And that is exactly what's going to happen. You can count on it. We hope that we will stand before our Lord Jesus on the last day, on Judgment Day, holy and pure and innocent and unashamed in his eyes. And my friends, you can count on it. We have hope. And so because we have this hope in our Savior and his promises, we have confidence to look forward to a rich and glorious inheritance. Inheritance is, by definition, something that is unearned. Usually someone you love gives it to you upon their death. They bequeath it to you in their will. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are the sole heir of Mr. Jeff Bezos, who is the founder of Amazon. I just checked this week, and his current net worth is more than $100 billion with a B. Can you imagine being his sole heir? My friends, that's nothing. That's nothing. The inheritance that our God has in store for his saints is far beyond money or anything that money can buy. Think about it. Money gets spent. It goes away. And the things that get spent on, those things go away too. They wear out. But as Peter tells us, we look forward to a much better inheritance, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, Peter tells us. It's bought and it's paid for by the blood of our Lord Jesus, secured by his resurrection, and just awaiting our entrance into glory. My friends, your reservation in the mansions of heaven is confirmed. We could say a lot about that reservation, about that eternal bliss of heaven today. We could talk about joy and peace and rest. We could talk about freedom from sorrow and suffering uh, and pain of any kind. And all of that, of course, is true. But I want to come at it from a little bit of a different angle. Look at it from a different perspective today. In heaven, we are going to be united once and for all with all our fellow saints to together praise and serve our God forever and ever. Our text talks about the glorious inheritance in his holy people. It could also be translated, and probably better translated, uh, his, the glorious inheritance among the saints. Just think about that for a second. All of the great heroes of the Bible, all of the great Christians of world history, all of our dear departed Christian loved ones, we will be together with them all in glory. Do you ever wonder what that is going to be like? I mean, wouldn't it be a pretty amazing experience to go out and take a walk with the likes of Moses or Abraham, Peter or Paul? Wouldn't it just be fun and fascinating to sit down for a beer and a conversation with Martin Luther? And somehow it just seems like with Martin Luther you've got to sit down and have that beer with him. Isn't it going to be amazing to finally once again wrap your arms around your dear loved ones? To embrace your mom or your brother or your son or your spouse. I, for one, cannot wait to see my dad again. And just think, with these people you are never again going to disagree or argue or fight. No, in perfect peace and perfect unity, you will together bask in your Savior's presence forever and ever. And that's the most amazing thing, isn't it? 
Jesus is there in heaven. We are going to be in his presence. We are going to finally meet him face to face. We're going to see him as he is. Or as Job puts it, we're going to see our Redeemer with our own eyes and how our hearts yearn within us at that thought. Well, we're going to have to keep yearning for a while because we're not in heaven yet. And so we still have crosses to bear in this life. We still have work to do for our Lord Jesus. But you know what? He promises that we won't do these things alone. He promises to be with us always to the end of the age as we carry his gospel to the ends of the earth. God himself promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. On the contrary, he blesses us always with his presence and with his power. Listen to our text. Our text refers to his incomparably great power for us who believe. Notice that God's almighty power is used for us. And as the Apostle Paul put it, if God is for us, who can be against us? Again, I want you to imagine an unlikely relationship. I want you to imagine that the President of the United States, the leader of the free world, is your personal friend. In fact, he's your best friend. He thinks the world of you. He would do anything for you. Imagine what having such a friend could do for your life. Imagine the perks that that could bring. Imagine the, the opportunities that having that relationship could give you. Again, that's nothing. You know, Jesus once told Pontius Pilate, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You see, God is the one who gives earthly rulers their power and their authority, and he is the one who takes it away again. Because, you see, he stands in power and authority far above all. This is the God who called the entire universe into existence in six days simply by the power of his word, just like that. This is the God who caused a virgin to give birth, water to become wine, a dead man to come back to life. This is the God who causes everything in history. With all of those events and all of that complexity, he causes all of it to work together for the good of his people. This is the God who through his powerful word and sacraments implants faith and, and sustains that faith in the hearts of his people. The psalmist Asaph stood back and just simply marveled at God's power. He said, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. God uses all that power for us, little old us. He watches over us, he protects us, he provides for us, he guards us, he commands his angels to guard us. Again, just how powerful is he? Well, a little bit later in this same epistle to Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about God's power. He describes it this way. He says that our God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. In other words, we can't even begin to fathom what our God is capable of doing. His power goes beyond imagination. Again, my friends, remember, see with your faith eyes, that power is for each of us. The empty checkbook 
It is no problem for God to handle that. That relationship that you have that's on the rocks, God can fix it. Your broken heart, God can mend it. Your guilty conscience, God can soothe it. Your anxiety and depression, your, your God can take care of that as well. He can take care of these problems by making them all simply go away. Or he can give us the strength and the patience to deal with them in our lives. Either way, the Almighty God has got our backs. Back in the 1980s and 90s, the slogan of the American Express Company was, Membership has its privileges. It sure does, doesn't it? My friends, by God's grace alone, we are members of the Holy Christian Church through faith in Jesus Christ. We are part of the communion of saints. Membership has its privileges. We have a sure and certain hope. We look forward to a rich and glorious inheritance. And right now, Almighty God himself is powerfully at work for us in our lives. My dear friends, open your eyes, open your faith eyes, and rejoice in these great gifts from the hand of a gracious God. Amen.